Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the work you've been doing amongst us over so many years, uh, for all the people that you've saved, for all the lives that you've changed, and we particularly give you thanks uh, for the lives of kids and youth and young adults that you've so profoundly impacted, for those who've grown up to follow you and serve you and honour you over the years who are now adults, and also, Lord, for those who are still young amongst us, that week by week you're impacting. Thank you so much, Father, and we pray we'd see more and more. Father, please now speak to us from your word and please enable us to understand your work in this world with sharper and sharper clarity and our part in it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully if you've been with us even for a short period of time, you'll have picked up that as a church we are laser-focused on preaching the message of the Bible. There are other things we do as a church, but the fundamental laser focus is preaching the message of the Bible to our church, to the coast, to our country, to the world. Now, why is that? Because there's lots of things we could be doing as a Christian church, aren't there? There's lots of good stuff that we could be doing together. We could be doing more to look after the homeless in our community. We could be doing more to provide support and counselling for those who are hurting. We could be doing more to raise money to send overseas to those who are poor. We could be doing more to lobby government to make changes for the good of our society. We could be doing more to teach our kids good morals and skills for life. Now, these are all good things, aren't they? And actually, we do engage in all of these things, some more so, some less so. But the fundamental thing that we're on about as a church is preaching the message of the Bible. It is our laser focus in all its forms. The message preached in church, preached in youth, shared in our kids' ministry, in our growth group ministry, through our daily reading notes, through Christian books and resources, in hot topics nights and digging deeper nights, and the list goes on. It is our laser focus. And we would actually argue should be the laser focus of every Christian church. Why? Why such a laser focus on the preaching of the Bible? Because they're just words, aren't they? Have you noticed that the central thing we have done together this morning is read the Bible, read words. And the second most central thing we do together is preach the Bible. Words. An average guy using normal words to hopefully bring us the truth of the Bible clearly and faithfully as possible. But just words. And it's easy to think of words as being nothing things, you know. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, we actually know that words do hurt a great deal, don't we? But we can still think of words as flimsy things, no power things. We say things like, talk is cheap. Don't just give me words, give me actions. You talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Don't just say stuff, do stuff, indicating that speaking isn't the real thing. The real thing is the doing. And so if it's a church where laser focus on speaking words, doesn't that seem to indicate that we're people who have a lot to say, but don't actually do anything of any real value? As a church, why do we have such a laser focus on preaching the message of the Bible? Because the Bible is... God's word to us. Have a look with me at a much-loved passage on the screen. It's actually 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, exhaled by God. Often we call it inspiration, but it might be better to call it expiration, breathed out. When we, when we speak, if you hold your hand close, you can feel the breath coming out. 
Most languages in the world are exhaling languages. There are a few where you breathe in, you know, sort of clicky languages. You breathe in as you speak. But most are breathing out. The word of God is breathed out. It's a way of saying the Bible is from the very mouth of God, spoken by the living God. This is the word of the living God to us. And notice it says all scripture, every bit of it, every book of it, every sentence of it, every word of it. In fact, every tense of every word is God's word. You can see from the way that Jesus teaches that he believes this. He believes that down to the very tense of every word, it is exactly as a God wanted it to be, it is the word of God. You can see it by the arguments he makes from the Old Testament scriptures. Sometimes he makes arguments from the Old Testament scriptures based on the very tense of the word. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. Which shows that Jesus believes that every bit of the Bible, down to the very words, down to the very tenses of the words, is inspired by God. Not just some of it, but all of it. Not just the vibe of it, but the detail of it. Written exactly as God wanted it to be written, in the most profound sense. This is the word of the living God to us. Which reminds us that there's a dual authorship going on. Because people could say, wasn't the Bible written by humans? Well, yes, the Bible was written by human authors. And they wrote in their language and in their style and with their knowledge of events, they wrote exactly as they wanted to write. So take Luke, the author of Luke's Gospel, as an example. In Luke 1, Luke shares why he wrote his Gospel. He says, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So Luke says, I went around, I interviewed people, I got together the information, I determined what to include in my account, I wrote an orderly account and I wrote the orderly account for a purpose. The purpose was so that you, Theophilus, might have certainty in your Christian life. Luke wrote it in his style, he wrote it in his Greek, the Greek of a well-educated man because he was a doctor. Luke wrote it, he was the author and understanding what Luke was trying to communicate helps us understand the Gospel of Luke. But there's another author, God. God worked through Luke to write every word exactly as God wanted it to be written. Not in some sort of weird way where Luke was like zapped into a trance and just wrote what God wanted him to write. Not in some way where God dictated it to Luke and then Luke wrote it down. Not in some way where Luke's hand was taken over and he had no control and he had to just write what God wanted him to write. No, in a more profound sense, the way in which God often works in the world, through Luke. Luke wrote as he wanted to write, but God oversaw it all and worked through the writing of Luke, through the thinking of Luke, to write it exactly as God wanted it to be in every word, in every detail, so that what we have sitting in our hands is the word of God to us. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed indeed at work in you who believe. So Paul comes to the city of Thessalonica and, and he speaks the gospel message, just words. But they're not merely human words. They're God's gospel message. They're God's words. And Paul says the Thessalonians heard these words and accepted them for what they actually were, not merely human words, but God's words through the messenger Paul. And it's not just that, It was God's words back then when it was written down, when it was first spoken. No, no, it's not that we just have a record of God's words from back then. No, 
This is God continuing to speak to us through his Bible today. Look with me at Hebrews 3, and I think this is profound. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. So you see those quotes. That's a quote from the Old Testament of the Bible, Psalm 95, written a thousand years before. The writer of the Hebrews quotes it at quite some length and then he applies it to his readers. Now, this is not the point of the passage, but just look at how the writer to the Hebrews unconsciously speaks about the Word of God. Quote from Psalm 95 written a thousand years before. Who wrote Psalm 95? Well, in the very next chapter, chapter 4, the writer to the Hebrews will say, David wrote it. King David wrote it. But look at who he says wrote it here. (laughs) So as the Holy Spirit says... Who wrote it? Well, David wrote it. But no, no, no. God, the Holy Spirit, wrote it through King David. It's God's word. But one step further, look a little more closely. It doesn't say, so as the Holy Spirit said back then. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says to you now. The Holy Spirit is speaking right now. These words from the Old Testament, the Bible, written a thousand years before, quoted by the writer to the Hebrews, he says, is God speaking to his readers right now? And he applies them to his audience and tells them, heed these words, because these are the words of the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Did you see? The Bible is a spirit word by which God is speaking to us today. Every time you read it, every time it's preached, Every time its message is shared, God is speaking there and then by his Holy Spirit. If we want to be in touch with the living God, then we need to listen to him in his word. If we want to bring people to be in touch with the living God, then we need to help them have access to the Bible, his word. Imagine this. If if we had a promise that next week God was going to show up, blinding light, booming voice, and God was going to speak directly to you, directly to you, man, you'd come, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what we've got next week. Except no blinding light, no booming voice. God's speaking quietly through his word because God wants us us to operate by trust, not by sight. Every time you engage with the spirit word, God is speaking directly to you. What do the people of our world need more than anything else? They need to hear God speak to them directly today. And this is exactly what we have in our hands and what we have in our mouths. God speaking to us today. Why as a church do we have such a laser focus on preaching the message of the Bible? Because the Bible is God speaking, God's word. And so, is mighty to save. God is almighty. And so his word is almighty. This is one of my favourite verses from uh, Jeremiah. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces? I I, I love it. Don't you? You can almost feel the searing heat coming off the pages. You can almost hear the crunching of the mighty hammer blows as God's word smashes to pieces anything that stands in its way. God's word quietly roars with power. God spoke and the universe came into being. Jesus spoke and the dead came back to life. And God speaks today by his word. 
There's nothing more powerful in the universe than the word of the living God. Think of um, the power of a mighty king's word, a mighty king. Don't think King Chucky. Think a real king with real power. The king just speaks and their word is immediately and absolutely obeyed. Whatever they command immediately happens. Build the city. The city is built. Divert that river. The river is diverted. Well, God is the eternal king of all things, robed in almighty power. How much more when God speaks, his word has power and always brings about the things that he desires. Another wonderful favourite verse of mine, Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Just as the rain and the snow, they they come down from heaven from the sky and they won't return back to the sky until they've done their work, watering the earth and causing it to bud and flourish and provide seed and food. The rain and the snow won't return until they've done their work. So the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord will never return empty. It will always accomplish the purposes for which God has sent it. And the purpose for which God has sent it, for which he intends it is, salvation. Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. Just words. But words that are God's words and so come with power to save. The mighty message that brings sinners to salvation, that saves rebels from hell, because in the gospel there is their way to be right with God is revealed. Right with God merely by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. The gospel message is powerful to bring salvation to everyone who believes. What is the most powerful force in the universe? The word of God that we hold in our hands, that we have in our mouths and in our hearts. Pretty soon it's uh, Halloween. Is it, is it Tuesday? Halloween? All Hallows' Eve is what it used to be called. On All Hallows' Eve over 500 years ago, a bloke called Martin Luther, a, a monk, Uh, nailed his 95 theses for discussion to the church door in Wittenberg. Martin Luther was a monk who, when he was studying the Bible, who was studying Romans, discovered the gospel, rediscovered the gospel, that is merely by trusting the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection that we can be right with God. The gospel that had been totally lost across the whole of Europe. Europe was in darkness and Luther rediscovered it and he shared it. And it spread, and it spread, and it spread like wildfire, bringing millions, multitudes to salvation right across Europe, changing the face of Europe. And we are massive beneficiaries of the Reformation. Well, Luther's got this wonderful quote that goes something like this. I did nothing. The Word of God did everything. I did nothing. The Word of God did everything. I just got the Word out there. And then, while I was asleep... Or while I was drinking Wittenberg beer with my mates at the pub, the word of God was out there transforming Europe. Now, it's nice rhetoric, isn't it? Because we actually know that Martin Luther did a whole heap. Martin Luther worked very, very hard to get the word of God out there. He, he preached multiple times a week. He lectured constantly. He constantly had discussions with people. He, he wrote um, thousands and thousands and thousands of words, pamphlets, tracts, books. He did massive amounts of work to get the word of God out there. But then the word did the work. While he slept, while he hung out with his mates, 
the gospel word shone the light into the darkness of Europe and truly transformed Europe, bringing multitudes to salvation. The word is God's mighty power that always achieves the purposes for which God intends it and that purpose is the salvation of those who believe. Why do we have such a laser focus on preaching the message of the gospel? Well, because it's God's word that is mighty to save and that brings spiritually dead people back to life. Because that's how the Bible pictures humanity, dead. Now, I don't think I naturally think of myself, of humanity like that. Do you? Dead. Spiritually dead. The Bible says that humans are not just a little bit naughty. The Bible says that we're not basically good people who do a bit of bad stuff. It says we're not even rebellious sinners who, with a bit of help, can turn back towards God. Now, the way the Bible pictures humanity is spiritually dead. Have a look with me at... um, Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. Humanity, because of our transgressions, crossing the lines that God has put in place, because of our sins, missing the mark that God requires of us, are spiritually dead. When I was in year nine, I did a stupid thing. Now, I did lots of stupid things in year nine, but this was a standout stupid thing. In our playground, we had a thing called a rostrum, which is a large metal diocese that the principal and other teachers would stand on and conduct assembly from while we sat on the cold, hard ground in the, in the baking sun in summer and the bitter cold in winter. In year nine, the, the rostrum was where me and my mates hung out at lunchtime and recess time, you know, sitting on it, sitting under it, hanging around it, playing handball, that sort of thing. But one day, for some reason, a couple of us boys got an idea. The rostrum was about, I don't know, five feet tall, and then it had a, a metal railing it was about nine feet high. And a, and a few metres away, there was a, a covered walkway, and the top of the walkway, probably, probably ten feet tall. And we thought, if we jump as hard as we can, stand up on top of the railing and jump as hard as we can, I reckon we can grab hold of the, the, the top of the walkway. And so as we talked about this, a whole bunch of the guys thought, oh, I'm not doing that. They looked at the height, they looked at the distance, they looked at the concrete, I'm not doing that. And we thought, chickens. But me and my mate, we thought, we'll give it a go. And so my mate goes first and he, he, he launches out, nails it, grabs it, perfect. And in the mind of a year nine boy, it was like, oh, so cool, parkour, parkour. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went, I launched, I soared, I perfectly grabbed the lip of the top of the walkway. And then the momentum of my legs flipped me forward and my hands were ripped off And I fell down six feet onto the back of my head on the concrete. When my friends tell the story, they they tell it as one of the times they thought I was dead. (laughs) I I, I just lay there for well over a minute, totally no signs of life, absolutely unconscious. My friends gathered around my lifeless body. Graham, Graham, are you okay? Well, I can tell you, Graham was not there. (laughs) Graham, Graham, get up. I can tell you, Graham was not going to get up. In fact, Graham could not even hear that someone was talking to him. Total inability. Now, that's being unconscious, but dead is worse. If you've ever seen a dead person, you're fully aware that the dead person can do nothing to bring themselves back to life. In fact, 
Dead people cannot do anything in any way to help themselves. They don't move, they don't speak, they can't respond, they can't want. They can't, desire, they, they, they can't do anything but lie there dead. That is humanity, spiritually dead, totally, utterly unable to do anything to help ourselves before God. Can't fix up their lives before God and start being better. Dead. Can't cooperate with God in any way to assist their salvation. Dead. Can't even turn towards God to trust God, put their faith in Jesus. Dead. In fact, humans can't even desire, can't even want to start to come back towards God. Dead. Totally impossible for us because we are dead in our sins, total inability. And there's nothing we can do to escape. We cannot even repent. We cannot even want to repent. We are so enslaved in our hostility towards God that our sinful minds cannot turn back to God. Our hearts are so hard against God that we would never even want to. Are you getting the picture? Unless the almighty God raises us from spiritual death by his own initiative, we are doomed. But that's exactly what the God of love does, raises the dead. The next verse is in Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. When we were dead and could do nothing to even start moving towards God, when we were dead and could do nothing to save ourselves from hell, right then when we could do nothing, God in his love, in his mercy, in his grace raised us from spiritual death to life. But how? How does this resurrection life come to us? Well, it comes to us by his word and by his spirit. Come with me in your Bibles uh, to Ezekiel 36. That was read for us by Carolina. Did I say 36? I meant 37. 36 is very good too and actually contributes, but uh, 37 is very good. Ezekiel records a vision that God gave to him. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. It's a picture of the spiritual state of the nation of Israel at that time, but by extension, it is a picture of humanity at all times. Dry, dead, lifeless bones. Like like an army uh, has gone into battle and a battle has taken place and they've been slaughtered down to the last man. And there's no one to take away the bodies and so the bodies have just been left there to rot and rot and rot until there's only skeletons left. And then the skeletons have been left there exposed to the elements so long that they are dry, dry, dry bones. You cannot get more dead than this. Not just dead, but flesh rotted away and bones baked in the sun. According to God, this is the spiritual state of the nation of Israel at the time of Ezekiel. And by extension, this is the spiritual state of humanity at all times. So dead we can do nothing to help ourselves, nothing to bring ourselves back to life, not even want, desire to come back to life. And the Lord says to Ezekiel in verse 3, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, I don't know. Only you know. Because humanly speaking, no, they can't live. They're not just dead, rotted to bone, bone baked in the sun to dry. Humanly speaking, there is no way they can live. But Lord, you alone know. Because you are the almighty God and you can raise the dead. 
which is exactly what God goes on to do in the vision. But look at how he does it. Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I'll make breath into you and you will come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared in them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied and as he, commanded, as he commanded me and breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. How does God resurrect the dead, lifeless bones? He says to Ezekiel, speak my words to them, prophesy to them. Speak God's word to the spiritually dead. And as Ezekiel speaks God's words to the bones, God breathes his breath into them. And the word breath, it's lovely. It actually could equally be translated spirit. Spirit breath are the same word in the Old Testament, Hebrew and New Testament Greek. Spirit breath. God breathes into them. God's spirits into them. Tendons reform on them. Skin recovers them. God breathes his breath into them and brings them back to life. God promises... He's going to bring life to the spiritually dead by his word and through his breath, his spirit, word and spirit. And it's only, only by the sovereign Lord working through his word by his spirit that those who are spiritually dead can be brought back to life. We were dead, unable to do anything, to even move towards God for salvation, to even want it. But God in his grace sends us his word which has spirit power to raise those he has chosen from spiritual death. As an illustration, think of Jesus' best friend, Lazarus. Now, that's a true story, Lazarus, but I'm going to use it as an illustration. Do you remember, Jesus hears that his best friend, Lazarus, has died. He waits three days before he goes to the town where Lazarus is dead. And when he gets there, people warn him, don't open the tomb, don't open the tomb. By this time, Lazarus, the body's going to be stinking. In fact, in the old English version, uh, Martha says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He stinketh. Lazarus is so dead, he stinketh. And so Lazarus is is not lying in the tomb thinking, oh, I really should come out. Lazarus is is not lying in the tomb thinking, oh, I I really want someone to help me come out. Lazarus is dead. But Jesus speaks, Lazarus, come out. And the word comes with spirit power so that Lazarus rises from the dead. The spirit-empowered word of God brings Lazarus back to life and Lazarus emerges from the tomb. We humans are like Lazarus, utterly spiritually dead, unable to do anything to bring ourselves back to life or even want it, cut off from God and totally unable to do anything. But when God's word comes to those he has chosen, it comes with resurrecting power. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit Word that causes people to be reborn, recreated, resurrected to new life. It was the 16th of September 1990 and I was sitting in a small church in the northern beaches of Sydney. A a mate had invited me along. He invited me along lots and lots of times. I'd been a few times because you can only make excuses so much. 
uh, I didn't want to be there. I'd heard what they were talking about before. I'd heard them speak the Bible before. I'd heard them share the gospel before. But that night was different. Again, the gospel was clearly preached. But that night, unbeknownst to me, unseen by me, not understood by me until years later, that night when I heard the word of God, God decided that it would come with spirit power in such a way that it called me in a way I could not resist. I did not want to resist. In a way that opened my eyes and opened my mind to the truth of the gospel. In a way that convinced me of my sin and my guilt. In a way that softened my heart so that I now wanted God. I I now wanted to trust God and so I did trust God. And so I was saved. A miracle. A resurrection. By God's word and spirit. This isn't to say that every person who hears the word of God preached will put their faith in Jesus and come into a relationship with him. Rather it is to say that all those who God has determined will at the time of God's choosing hear the gospel in such a way that they will respond. That their hearts will be opened, that their eyes will be opened, that they will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word is a resurrecting word bringing people to life for those God intends. We share the word of God, but God opens people's hearts. Do you remember Lydia? Acts 16, Paul preaches the gospel in Philippi and God opens Lydia's heart so she believes. We are saved from hell two weeks ago. Saved for heaven last week. Saved by Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Saved through the word of God, the spirit word. Why is it just we have such a laser focus on preaching the message of the Bible? Because it is God's word, mighty to save, that actually brings spiritually dead people to life because it's the spirit word. And so finally, it's essential for salvation. Come with me to one more passage, Romans 10. Romans 10, uh, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When you understand that the Bible is the living word of God, God speaking to people today. When you understand that the Bible is God's word mighty to save, always achieving the purpose for which he sends it. When you understand that God's word holds within its spirit power to bring to life those whom God has chosen, then the the conclusion must be crystal clear. It is essential that the word of God be shared. For this is the means by which God brings salvation to the world. And so you see it there in, in Romans 10. Only those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, gospel preachers need to be sent so they can preach the Bible's message about Jesus, so people can hear the Bible's message about Jesus, so they can believe the Bible's message about Jesus, and so call on the Lord and be saved. The preached word is absolutely essential. People cannot be saved without hearing the word of God because God's word is the means by which God saves, the means by which God transforms in his power. A number of years ago, I was talking to um, a bloke from another church. And we we're talking about churches and what churches were on about, and particularly our mission to share the gospel so that people would be saved. And he responded saying this, 
I think churches should live like this, live by this saying, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Now that's catchy, isn't it? It's often uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but I don't know if there's any evidence for that. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, which suggests being a good and loving Christian is preaching the gospel. Doing good deeds and caring for people is preaching the gospel. And in fact, the primary way of preaching the gospel is being loving and good. And there'll only be times when it's necessary to actually say words to preach the gospel. What does Romans 10 say to this? No. This is absolutely, fundamentally, unequivocally wrong. Good deeds are, of course, absolutely essential as fruit of the Christian life. Good deeds and love can actually have a significant impact on the lives of those around us so that they might want to explore the Christian message. But good deeds are not preaching the gospel and people cannot, 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 cannot be saved by merely seeing the good and loving deeds of the Christian life. Because this is the power of God. It's only by speaking the Bible's message of Christ as Lord and Saviour that people can be saved. It's the word that is the mighty power to bring people from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so the shape of our ministry as a church and as individuals is word ministry. Because the Bible is God's word, God speaking to us, mighty to save, brings people from spiritual death to spiritual life and so is absolutely essential for salvation. And so all of this is the fundamental thing that we are on about as a church, preaching the message of the Bible, laser focus to kids, to youth, to young adults, to adults, to our church, to the coast, to our country, to the world. And all of this is the reason that we can be absolutely confident that if we give ourselves to this work, the work of getting the word out into the world, it will never be in vain. Giving towards this work of our time, of our energy, of our money will never be futile because in the Bible, God is addressing people today. Because in his word, by his word, he is always achieving what he intends it for, is a mighty word, a roaring fire, smashing rock to pieces, is a spirit word by which he raises spiritually dead people to life. And by this spirit word, God goes on to transform people from one degree of Christ-likeness to another. I hope you've heard over the last few weeks of EV Grow that EV Grow is first and foremost about growing us, growing our hearts, growing us in generosity towards the work of God, the salvation of people through the Spirit Word. If by the end of EV Grow we're stirred to be more generous with all we are and all we have towards the, the cause of getting the Word of God more richly and deeply into more people's lives, that's the most important outcome because we will have grown, we will have matured. But EV Grow is also importantly about paying our mortgage, and about growing our building facilities. Because facilities facilitate things. Our facilities facilitate getting the word of God into more and more people's lives. Because, you know, these buildings, they're just buildings. They're not magical. They're not mystical. They're not holy. They're not the house of God. They're just buildings that keep off the rain in winter and keep off the sun in summer. Just buildings. But good buildings. 
buildings that help our kids, that help our youth, that help our young adults, that help us, that help those who join us from the community to hear the truths of the Bible. Gather to hear the Word of God clearly and without distraction. Buildings that feel good to come to. Buildings that help us engage together in community and speak the Word of God to one another. Buildings that we can feel confident to bring our family along to and our friends along to to hear the Word of God. Facilities that really do facilitate getting the Word of God more and more richly and more and more deeply into more and more people's lives to bring salvation and to bring transformation. And so EV Grow is a chance every three years to pledge and give financially towards paying for our mortgage and growing our building facilities so that the Word of God can touch more and more people's lives. And so just as Dave said before, I I want to encourage you. I want to encourage myself to do two things. Encourage us to contribute, to make a three-year pledge towards paying off our mortgage for the next three years, which is is absolutely critical, isn't it, to pay your mortgage so we can keep things open so the Word of God might go forward. And also to make a one-off gift towards growing our facilities so that we can provide more space for more people to be impacted by the powerful, life-giving Word of God. And something we particularly have in mind here is our Sunday morning kids' ministry and the facility limitations that we're facing. I imagine you're uh, probably aware that kids has been just going gangbusters. <laughs> it's just growing and growing and growing. You don't have to see when you send the kids out. It's like you kick an anthill and all the, all the ants like scurry off. And uh, we've been doing everything we can with the limited kids' space uh, in our growing kids' ministry. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had um, over 370 kids, which is fantastic, isn't it? But, but space is limited. As the number of kids keeps growing, what you eventually need to do is start new classes. As you start new classes, you need more rooms. So at the start of this year, we needed to start a new class, but where do you put it? Well, we started a crèche class and we, we house it in the parents' room right, right there currently. We also needed a bigger classroom, so we we actually knocked through a wall between two upper rooms to make a larger room out of two smaller rooms to house a larger class. At the start of next year, we're going to need another class, and so we're going to need another room, and so we're trying to be creative about how do we adjust our facilities to squeeze that in, and we're not quite sure. We've got some plans, possibly flexibly dividing the basement, but we'll see. But God willing, if we keep growing, particularly if you all keep having more babies and keep at it... (laughs) At the start of 2025, we'll be totally out of space. And remember, this is about more and more kids being impacted week by week by the ministry of the Word of God. We're not, we're not doing childminding up there. We're doing discipling work by the Word of God. And actually, can I encourage you, just nick out of church one week. You'll never hear a minister say that, but just nick out of church one week. Just for five minutes, go up and have a look through the windows and see what's going on. Kids being discipled by the Word of God, engaging with the Word of God in an age-appropriate, developmentally appropriate way. The Word, Bible stories, memory verses, singing, craft, all around the Word of God. Don't all go one week, because if you're all there one week, well, church will be empty, but the kids will be freaking out because they won't know what's going on. If the number of kids keeps growing as wonderfully as it has the last couple of weeks, we're going to need new buildings, and it's going to take a significant amount of money. And wasn't that video great to hear what has been going on and what could continue to go on and just the thought of a generational ministry. Not just providing facilities uh, for our current youth and our current kids to be deeply impacted by the Word of God. We want that. But to bequeath a gift to the next generation, an ongoing impact into the lives of kids for generations to come, 
our kids and their kids and their kids and their kids, countless lives impacted by the word of God long after we've gone to glory. Good facilities that actually facilitate getting the word of God richly into more and more people's lives, into the lives of kids and youth. More community space so that we can share the word of God together. More ministry space. Do you know that having good facilities can be an accelerator to the impact we can have for the cause of the gospel? And conversely, a lack of facilities can be a real handbrake to the impact we can have for the cause of the gospel. But above all this, can I encourage you, let the word of God stir you deeply to be more generous with all you are and all you have towards the cause of getting the word of God into people's lives because by that mighty word, God brings salvation. We see it week by week, year by year, salvation and transformation because this is the work of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we we thank you that what we have in our hands in the Bible is your word to us. We thank you that when we read it, when when we hear it, when it's preached, it is you speaking directly to us. Please help us to heed it. We thank you that it's mighty to save and has saved us and we see it saving so many others. We thank you that it brings spiritually dead people back to life when we could do nothing. Your spirit word comes with power and raises the dead. And uh, we, we are fully aware that it is absolutely essential for people to be saved. So please help us to get it to as many as possible. Please stir in us, Father, a deep generosity towards the great work of getting the word of God richly into more and more people's lives. Kids and youth and young adults and adults, uh, to our church, to our community, uh, across our country and to the world. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.